Welcome to Bon Jovi Discussions. Today I have someone who does not need any kind of introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. He is pretty much the best rock photographer you could find. He has photographed some of the coldest bands of, in the 80s, Van Halen, Metallica, Kiss, Guns N' Roses, Molly Crew, the list goes on. Most importantly, he's photographed Bon Jovi. Uh, so today, everyone, I have Mark Weiss. How you doing, Mark? All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. How you doing? I'm doing good. You know, everything's good. You know, it's safe here in the Jersey Shore. Uh, you know, I don't go out much. I take a walk to the beach once in a while. But, uh, you know, kind of stay to my own and my girlfriend and, and my family. Like, you know, everyone should really when they can. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way to do it right now is, you know, staying safe and staying in. So we're going to get to it, but you have a, a book that's out that came out last week called The Decade of, That Rocked, which is, I think is really cool. And I can't wait till we uh, talk about that. But first, uh, you know, what got you into photography and, you know, how'd you get started? Uh, well, it got started by mowing someone's lawn and gave me his camera in exchange for mowing his lawn for the season. And that's how I got my first camera when I was 12. Then a few months later, I started uh, developing pictures, taking photos of like my dog and my brother and family events. And uh, I did that for about a year until I kind of got bored of that. And then I started going to concerts uh, in 1974 uh, when I went and saw Elton John and then um, uh, Elton John at Madison Square Garden and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young and Roosevelt, Stage Roosevelt Stadium in New Jersey. And I uh, just kind of, you know, started going to concerts. And then I saw a friend, a friend of mine, a uh, friend of the family uh, with this camera around his, his uh, neck and a couple of really hot looking girls. And I asked him where he was going. And he said, to the stage to take some pictures. And I was like, I just watched him go into the sunset, you know. And uh, a few months later, I went to a family event because his, his, um, his parents were friends with my family, with my parents. And uh, when I went over to the house, having a barbecue, he had the pictures hanging up in his room and, and we just started talking and I was just in awe and I was like, oh, oh I want to do that. And he kind of told me a couple things and, you know, sneaking in concerts and that kind of gave me the bug to want to take it up to the next level. Wow, that's really cool. And there was one where you got in trouble for taking a photo at a concert, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, what I did, yeah, what I did was I used to go to the concerts uh, and sell them in my high school locker, you know, my locker. And then people would come to me and, you know, I used to sell them for 50 cents for a five by seven or a dollar for an eight by 10. And then uh, I used to sell them in front of uh, the concerts. I took it a step further. And uh, Kiss played, you know, they used to play multiple nights at, at the garden in 1977. And, and I got arrested at one of the shows uh, with all the shirt sellers. Uh, so, that was that. It's like, all right, well, now what am I going to do? And then I picked up the magazine Circus that I used to read when I was, uh, you know, up to, you know, when I was 12, 13 until then, looked at the address, went into New York City with my portfolio, and I kind of, you know, knocked on the door, and the art director saw me. He was off deadline. And uh, he told me what to do, and he liked my photography, but come back when you think you have something. And I shot Aerosmith a few months later, and I dropped them off at the office. And uh, they used the first centerfold in Circus Magazine, my first picture, 1978. So, oh, wow. And then it just snowballed from there. 
That, did you photograph that picture with Aerosmith's permission or, or without? No, that was still when I was sneaking in. So that was a, a giant stadium. It was like 60,000 people there with Ted Nugent and Mahogany Rush. And, uh, and you know, there weren't a lot of pictures of Aerosmith. There weren't a lot, of, a lot of photographers in. So I had, like, good photos where no one else really had them at the time. So I kind of was, like, a good opportunity to, to get my first picture published, which, which worked. Yeah, that's amazing. So then how did you get involved with all the other 80s hair bands? Because there's, I mean, the list goes on. How did you get involved with all these different bands? Uh, well, it just snowballed from there. You know, it, it went from... Uh, you know, working with Circus, with Van Halen, like one of my first concerts that I shot with him, to, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne doing photo shoots. So it just kind of snowballed. And whenever there was a door open, I would just kind of go through it and bang it open really, really hard and see where the next where the next uh, door would, would, would be. So I was just very aggressive and I wanted to do, you know, wanted to meet people. It was fun. I loved the music. And it just uh, it just happened very naturally. You know, I, I can't imagine what it was like to have like that all access, you know, photographing them behind the stage, on stage, you know, at parties, you know, that must have been a cool, exp I mean, the 80s was all about rock and roll and sex and, you know, these wild parties, and you got to see it all, you know, it's, it's pretty yeah. cool. For, you know, I, didn't, I didn't just see it all, <laughs> I participated. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, besides, we'll get into Bon Jovi here in a second, but what other kind of bands did you really like uh, hanging out with and photographing and, and all that? Well, Bon Jovi was great. You know, they were like, you know, they're from Jersey. You know, they were like brothers. You know, we really uh, you know, had a connection when I first met them. But, you know, bands like Motley Crue, you know, and they from 1982, I, I did one of their first photo shoots that gave them national attention uh, when they were just, you know, after their first record. Uh you know, Poison when they came out, you know, Guns N' Roses when they came out, Skid Row, you know, all these bands that, that kind of like define the 80s. Uh, I either grew with them or they were already at, at some point like Judas Priest. You know, I, I didn't I didn't tour with them like on the bus, but, you know, whenever they came to town or in the tri-state area or an event like Live Aid, uh, I would make sure I was there to capture those moments. You know, and, and you mentioned uh, Skid Row, and uh, in the book, um, you have a picture of Skid Row all in makeup and, you know, the big, mm. what do you call it, teased hair. Yeah. But if, but if you look at when Skid Row actually kind of started, they kind of went away with that look. And so it was kind of cool to see a photo like that. Yeah, yeah. When I showed, when I when I sent the book to Sebastian, he was, like, shocked because he never even saw it. Like, the last time he saw it was when I took it, and when they saw it, you know, they showed their management and uh, and John Bon Jovi was involved, too. And they all said, like, you know, you can't do this. This is not, you know, this is not where we're going. And they that was the last time they 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 did that, you know, and they decided then we did the next shoot was where there were more street, obviously, you know, you know, still a little bit of hairspray, but not the glam, you know, poisonish, you know, Hanoi Rocks vibe, which yeah. that. Yeah, I, I never got, I, I was born in 92, so I never got the, the opportunity to live through the 80s, which, you know, I'm always jealous of. But, you know, I think towards the 80s, a lot of that glam metal look was gone. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of more bands like in the early 90s, like Firehouse and Nelson and all the Skid Row even kind of went away with the whole glam thing. Well, you're you're actually living the 80s now, which is good. And I would highly suggest it to all you kids out there. 
uh, how, by, how looking, by, by looking at the book and listening to the music and, oh, yeah. and reading and going on YouTube and seeing what was there and and hopefully it will inspire some musicians that will kind of take the torch and run with it now because I think that's what we need we need we need you know we need showmanship out there we need bands that have you know that have balls and that, that want to rock and and just like we all did back then so I, they are out there and and I, there is a, there is a handful but we need more yeah. You know, music today, it, it, it's taken such a change compared to the 80s, you know, and it's not the same as it was, you know, like, you know, back in the 80s, you had more starved young people wanting to make a difference in music and wanted to become a big rock and roll band. You know, nowadays, if you have one hit on YouTube, you know, record company signed, you know, there's no... What's the word I'm looking for? Long, no, longevity or there's no, no hunger. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's everything's very like moment. You know, back in the 80s and 70s and, you know, everyone, they built a following, which they're doing now on YouTube. I mean, a lot of these bands that now on YouTube are, you know, starting out with a song here, a song there. And if they're consistent and they keep putting out those tunes and there's enough where they can put on a live show and they come to your town, it's like you don't need the record companies to... Uh, to promote you because you're doing it yourself and you're creating your own following. It's, it's definitely, it's grassroots, but that's really what's happening now. Uh, most of the bands that, that are, are playing bigger, bigger places. And there is a lot of them, but uh, back then it was almost like uh, a handful, like the chosen few, the record companies might have like five or six a year that they would push, put money in. And it, there was no YouTube. So the radio stations were all, they were all together. It was like, you know, you put out one song, that's the song you get now, and they all play it. So when they play the country, everyone knows that song. Now it's YouTube, everyone knows it as soon as you put it out. So it's definitely a different different world, and and uh, everyone's adapt, you know, adapted pretty good about it. And I, there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of, I think the touring business now, not now, but before the pandemic, uh, was very fruitful for uh, acts from clubs to theaters to arenas to stadiums. Yeah. I, I agree with that. That's a good point. You know, both systems worked. You know, the, the 80s worked the way it did. And then today, you know, artists are obviously big and, you know, making good money and, and all that. So, yeah, you, you got a point. But there's there are to your to your point there. There is more than we need of the one hit kind of wonders that have might have four million views, you know, and then then you don't hear about them. So it, it's uh, it's harder to make a rock star today because it's not all unif uniformed in in the country where it's one thing but you can do it yourself if you can make yourself a rock star then you can right you know we live in a world now where it's all full of views and likes you know that's what we're all focused on but where i was trying to get out back in the 80s you had all these you know bands who were trying to make it and they wrote their own lyrics they sang their own lyrics and it was great. Nowadays, a lot of artists today don't write their own songs. You know, it, it's yeah. written by someone else. And so it's hard for me to listen to an artist that didn't write their own song. And I, I think that's why I appreciate older music so much more is because it, it comes from a place of sincerity. You know, they wrote it, they perform it, and they feel it. And they express that when they're, when they're performing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what a rock star really is, that they write it, they wrote it, uh, they lived it. Uh, it's in their head and you know, I mean rock stars even John, you know in the band They have outside writers to you know 
add a little bit, which is great. You know, it's collaboration. That's collaborate, creative collaboration. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of the pop pop stars. Uh, they don't write their own music, and and the kids don't even know, you know. But it's just, it's just that uh, that quick taste that they like, and it's that good feel good, you know, four minute song that, that they don't care, you know. The kids don't care really. No, no, it's a feel good song, and that's it. So, mm. so anyway, so how did you get involved with Bon Jovi? Yeah, I, I see. I, in, the, in the book, you have a photo of John when he was really. Like, I, I'm thinking like this photo is from like 79 or 80. Yeah, I'll show you that one right here. This was never shown, this was never released before. So that uh, was John when he was 18. Wow. And the, the way that came about was um, I was shooting Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes at Freehold Raceway, uh, which was like 15 minutes from my house. And uh, Hole and Oates and Willie Nile was also playing. And then I was shooting Southside on the side of the stage. And uh, I'm like, you know, he's drinking a beer. I'm taking pictures of him. And he's like, uh, you know, you should be shooting that kid on stage. And I, I looked, uh, and he's, I thought he was just trying to get rid of me. So I said, okay, all right, I get it, you know. So I went over and I took pictures and that was the rest. And I didn't even know that I shot the rest until decades later when I was digging up my old Southside Johnny photos. And uh, I saw uh, in the contacts, it said the rest. And I didn't know when I shot who the rest, you know, I didn't, I didn't get it until I put two and two together, you know, and I looked at the negatives and I saw John and I was like, oh my God, it's like getting an old Elvis photo, you know, that you, no one's ever seen. So I, I had that probably for about 10 years and it's been under wraps. And I, I had a gallery show in New York with a couple other photographers, actually David Bergman was there too. Uh, and, uh, we both had Bon Jovi photos in it and John came to the gallery and I showed it to him on the phone, you know, and he looked at it and he's like, you know, oh my God. I said, you know, can you send that to me? I said, no, you can look. And he showed it, he took my phone and he showed his, his wife, Dorothea, the, the photo. And I said, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to, that's got to be in the book for the first time. And, uh, and I, I kept it under wraps. Yeah. It's a cool photo. So, so did you really get started with John back in 1980 then? Or oh, no. So, yeah, so that, I didn't even know. That was in the archives for 20 years. I didn't even okay. know I had that. Uh, okay. Fast forward a few years, I was hired by ZZ Top to shoot um, uh, to shoot ZZ Top for some publicity photos at Madison Square Garden. They needed some live photos. And the opening band was Bon Jovi. And they just they won some contest on uh, one of the radio stations in Long Island. They had the, the Runaway was on one of their uh, their compilation records for homegrown music. And they were the opening band. And I was just getting warmed up. Uh, and I took a couple rolls of film. And that was uh, the second time I shot them. And there's a picture of John in 1983 in there as well. Uh, and then fast forward two more years, 85 after Fahrenheit was out, uh, I was on the doing some work with Motley Crue on the West Coast, and Doc McGee was managing Motley Crue, and he told me about Bon Jovi. He wanted me to shoot them uh, when I got back to New York, and I did, and they came up to my studio in New York City and did some photos, and one of the photos are in there um, right on the roof. Uh, the Empire State Building's in the background. Uh, so that's, that's when we really connected and became friends, and and, uh, you know, I remember 
you know, John was kind of in awe of me because I had all these photos in the rock magazines and he knew I could help him get them in the magazines. I mean, they were in the magazines already, but he knew that, you know, it would help if I had photos. Uh, so I said, uh, I said, you know, one day you're going to, you know, because he said, I can't believe I'm shooting with you, Mark. You know, I was like, you yeah, know, one day you're going to tell me to get that camera out of my face. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so then from there, uh, then the next year, uh, I did some photos on the road. They played with 38 special. They used some pictures for, uh, publicity, promotional photos and merch, merchandise, photos, posters and things, t-shirts. And then, uh, yeah, this one? it looks familiar. You know, I don't, it's I think, I think it's so many. yeah, I think it's so many. I don't even know what's mine these days. You know, I gotta like really look. Uh, but, uh, then fast forward another year, Slippery, they wanted me to shoot the Slippery cover. They told me their concept, uh, with, it's called Wanted at the time, Wanted Dead or Alive, off the song. So the old group beards came in one at a time in my studio, and then I put together a, a Wanted poster, and that was going to be a cover. And then they decided they wanted the band on the cover in regular where they looked and have like the wanted poster in the background uh where they're hiding out in some you know hideaway uh like a gang so then we went to vancouver and we did a photo shoot up there in the mountains uh and uh you know uh, that was so that was another shot and that was supposed to be supposed to be the cover until they changed the name to Slippery When Wet, and they had a change of heart on on the title and and the look, and uh, we decided to do a play off of the uh, the strippers from the Number Five Club over in Vancouver, where we all used to go after the after they recorded. Um, so they got inspired by that and the road signs that were all over the place, and they put they put it all together and. We, um, when they came back to New Jersey after they recorded uh, the album and did what they had to do, they, uh, we, we got all the girlfriends together and the friends of the girlfriends and we got all the cars and the motorcycles and, and we went down to, across the street from the beach where John had a rented apartment and we did this shoot and we had this one girl in the middle named Angela with, with the big breasts uh, and uh, she, you know, we did that shot. We put her front and center on top. And um, and then after that, we had her come to my studio. I had a blue background. I, you know, made it look like it was outdoors and had some, you know, uh, you know, you know, waters, you know, w you know, wet her down. So everything was like nice and see-through-ish kind of. And uh, we cut up her shirt, a little provocative, and, and we dyed the shirt yellow. And the in the first shoot everything was white, so we dyed the shirt yellow, and then we had that, and that was supposed to be the cover. And then the PMRC was going on, and uh, everyone, the record company, got wet feet because of um, you know they wanted the the album in all the stores, and they were you know that's when the PMRC when they were trying to put labels on on uh, album covers, and to you know and if they got stickered, chances are it would be in the back of the. Uh, you know the back of the racks or not even even uh you know distributed through some of these key stores okay. so they wanted to come up they liked the title but they wanted to come up with a different image uh another image was they had a bar of soap they spent a couple grand on a bar of soap that says slippery one wet there's a picture in the book on it it's the first time anyone's ever seen it 
and and we hired a hand model for a thousand dollars and she's holding the bars you know suggestively and and that was a joke i mean i never i didn't get it i was just going through the motions on that one and then that was it until uh we had a, a day before to come up with something or they were gonna like uh you know it would have missed the deadline for the uh the release date which they needed that release date everyone was set on it the promotion and all that and they already they already printed a half a million copies of the one with the girl on it so they had a burn like them it was released in japan who they didn't care but in the states they they burned them so that's like a collectible um and then uh john just came up he's like mark i'm coming up uh, i don't know what we're doing just uh have kind of an idea get me a black plastic bag ready for me i'm like all right i had no idea what he was t talking about put it on the wall pinned it up sprayed you know i got a water bottle he says get you have a water bottle you know you could spray some water drop us on it i said sure sprayed it he wrote slippery one wet with his finger and he just left before he even looked at a polaroid he's like just send that to them that's it done and it's one of the biggest albums of all time and that's the cover for it crazy yeah yeah, yeah, it's you know I, I like the theory of that, like them all wearing beards, but I, I don't think that would have worked as an album cover. It right. was me speaking as a fan, you know. But you know, this is also come from me as a guy. But I love the idea of the busty woman on the cover. Mm, yeah, you know, and, and I think back then I think that would have worked. You know, yeah. before the whole the whole label. Right. Um, you know, because that was rock and roll back then. You know, now yeah. in today's standards, probably not, but. Back then, it might have worked, but it would have worked. It was an eye catcher. Yeah, exactly. But um, so the, then you started to go on tour with them, right? Was the oh, yeah. Slippery New Jersey tour? Well, so, Slippery, of course. You know, they needed pictures for uh, you know for their tour book and and for the magazine. So I would go out with them. You know, every few weeks, I would go out for a few days, and you know bring the pictures to show them, to look at them, approve them, take some new ones. Uh, and just whenever there was, uh, a, you know, maybe a, a week or or three or four days, I would, and I was available, I would go on the, go on their tour. You know, I'd go on their bus, travel with them. Uh, when they got the, when they stepped it up to the plane, I would go on the plane. There's a photo of them in front of the slippery and wet plane uh, in the book. Um, and uh, I was just like, you know, an extension of their troops. You know, I would just capture and document uh, moments that uh, we're all, you know, looking at in my book and in other places as well. So, so what what was it like to hang out with them? I mean, like, I'm sure they're they're great guys, and I've met a few of them over the years of being a fan. But you know, what was it like to hang out with them and you know, seeing all this behind the scenes stuff with them? Uh, they were just, you know, regular guys, you know, like, cause you know, and I, I, I felt a little more closer because they were from Jersey and something about Jersey. Uh, it's just the feeling you get, you know, the Jersey shore, Asbury park, you know, we were all, we were all grew up in the same cities and we all hung out at the same clubs. Uh, not, we didn't necessarily hang out together when, before they were at Bon Jovi, but we all were familiar with the same thing. So we had a lot, you know, a lot in common and, uh, and uh you know they were just you know it's just up you know upbringings you know middle class you know uh same you know i i lived maybe two towns over where i was brought up with my family so you know just a lot of 
ton of connections and similarities. Yeah. And, and, and the interest in music. We all loved Thin Lizzy. We all loved the Stones and Led Zeppelin and, you know, all their, all the bands they liked, like most of the bands in the eighties are the bands I liked, you know, from the seventies. Uh, and it just, uh, just another, it's just a connection. Um, and, and, and then two, two photos I want to talk about. I don't want to give the whole book away because people need to buy it and look at it because it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. But there's two photos that I, I love in the book. The first one is when they were in Russia for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the New Jersey tour. What, what was that like to experience that with them for the first time? You know, because back then going there was a huge mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, that was a special moment because, uh, you know, they were, you know, they were going to uh, go in six months before in the wintertime to go to Russia to check out the Olympic Stadium and meet all these dignitaries over there. And they wanted to document it. They wanted me there. I went there with the band and Doc McGee and a few other people. And we just, you know, we went to the uh, place where the show was going to be, which is you know, such a contrast of the, you know, the winter coats and freezing and, and then to the summer when we arrived. Uh, and it ended up being a spread in Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, it was just, you know, it was an honor that they asked me to go with them. And it's something that uh, I'll never forget that experience, especially going back with them, uh, with all those other people that are on the, on the, on the plane. Uh, you know, it felt like we were, you know, rock royalty. Yeah, yeah, because you, you mentioned in the book that you were one of the first ones to step out of the plane before the bands came out, and I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I don't know if there was a big crowd of people around the plane when they arrived, or if it was pretty much like a private landing or whatever. But just that feeling of arriving for the first time and having you know all those people at the show, you know, excited. Yeah, well, when we arrived, I like everyone started like I was in the back of the of the plane, and and everyone started like getting ready to leave. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me go out first. Because there was like local press of, of the Russian Russian photographers that were going to grab that shot. And it's like, I, I wanted that shot. So I, I, I stopped everyone. I went out in front of everyone. And, and I kind of like, uh, I was like, okay, let's go. And then they started walking out one at a time. And, you know, I wasn't the only photographer, but I was there in, in the spot. <clears throat> and then, uh, after they all came out, I organized the photo shoot with Peter Max, who was the artist who drew the um, the artwork for that, the posters and on the plane, famous artist uh, in New York City. Uh, he, uh, I posed him in the middle of all of these forty rock stars up in up up above the uh, this one area where they were kind of going into the lounge area, and uh, I organized the photo and and grabbed it, and that shot's in there as well. But that was a tough one. I had to do a lot of yelling on that. And I didn't even have a megaphone. I usually I have a megaphone when it's something, you know, organized and there's a lot of people, but you know, a lot of, of direction for a photo. Yeah, I pulled it off though, for sure. And then one other photo um, that I really liked was the, and I'll let you tell the story because I don't want to give too much away. The 1990 Christmas card with John Bon Jovi. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so John just got married the, that year or the year before. And uh, I actually photographed in the book. It also is a nice photo of Dorothea and John at their house before they went to the party uh, uh, in New York City to you know, celebrate because they got uh, they got married in Vegas, uh, which I wasn't at. And they want to have a party with all their friends and family. So they called me up really that 
I think early that day, it wasn't even planned. They just said, you know, can you come over? And I, I lived in the same, you know, I lived nearby and I said, sure. And, uh, we took some photos, went in a limo helicopter with them and, and got those shots. Uh, and then I don't know, maybe like four or five months later, uh, John just had this idea to do this, uh, Christmas card. And I was surprised because he just got married and he wanted me to do this card with all these girls. He said, can you get some girls that, you know, pulling the sleigh and, you know, sexy clothing and all that. I was like, yeah, I can do that. I've been known to do photos like that here and there and, you know, doing some sexy photos. So I had, I had a bunch of girls, like friends I called and, uh, that's how that cover went. And, and it ended up in a lot of the magazines in Europe and the, you know, and he just, I don't know, maybe he wanted to, show that he was married but he was a still wild and crazy guy or something i don't know but uh you know it was it's it's out there somewhere you know yeah well i thought those were cool photos um you know before we get going here i want to talk about two things i want to talk a little more about the book because it's more than just bon jovi and then i want to talk about your youtube um channel uh wise guy okay yeah uh but we'll go uh to the book so it's called uh Decade That Rocked. How did that come about and why did you decide to release this, this book now as opposed to the last 30 years? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think it was too soon to release it after it was over. I mean, I could have, but, you know, I didn't think I didn't I, I didn't want to do it then, you know, and I, I didn't do a book on Van Halen or Bon Jovi or. Motley Crue, like a lot of photographers, they do that one book and, you know, they can cash out and make money from an artist. But I wanted my first book to be about my collab, my collaborative with a lot of the bands I worked with and a narrative of, of how I became who I am and, and, you know, the important shoots that I've done and kind of put it in one spot. And, you know, I started this book uh, five years ago. Seven years ago, it was going to be a different book where I just shot. It was just going to be hair bands. And, and I didn't want that to be. And that would have been an easy book to do, but I didn't want that to be my first uh, book out there. And then I changed I changed it to um, be more narrative. And my son uh, told me he was, uh, you know, having a having a baby. And uh, I wanted to uh, put something together where kind of you know, had my, my legacy, you know, of what I did. So when his son, he's now four, he gets old enough to read a book, he'll be able to see what his grandfather did, you know? Uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, it kind of gave me a reason to really focus on something, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted to, I always wanted to do a book, but it was just so like, I didn't know where to start. And that just gave me a reason to like really focus and pull it together. And, uh, you know, because it really it's it's a book of that decade and historic events that happened and a lot of bands that came out of that that are still most of them are still working and, and playing arenas and stadiums even. And some are playing clubs still. So everyone's still doing it. It's still in that decade. It's just, uh, you know, anywhere from 40 to 60 are very it's like it's a good demographics for, uh, you know, reliving your your youth. And especially now, I mean, it's kind of, I'm kind of glad I waited. Um, and it's just, it's just something to, for, it's a bit of history that I want to share with the world and hopefully generations to come, they'll, they'll, they'll see it, get inspired, whether you're a photographer or a band or, 
or just interested in the culture back then. Uh, and that's why I did it. You know, I, I really did it. I did it for me. I did it for my family and I did it for the fans. Yeah. It, it, I, and, uh, you know, the book, I don't know if you want to show it, but it, it's a huge oh, book. It's right here. Yeah, yeah. It's six pounds, one ounce, 400, almost 400 pages. And we also have, um, we have three gatefolds where they, it pops open. Oh, wow. That's Ozzy in a bunny outfit. You'll have to read that story. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you, you know, I, I've looked through the book and I have mine coming now in the mail. But it, it's so cool for anyone that's passionate about the 80s hair bands to go through that and look at the pictures and read some insight and stuff. You know, I, you know I, I've been a diehard Bon Jovi fan for 20 years. I had no idea about the 1990 Christmas car. So it was kind of cool to learn some stories. Mm -hmm about Bon Jovi and, and other bands. And, and just since you're uh, a Bon Jovi, you know, you know, that's your, your main, uh, and would you say that's your, the band, your, your site is pretty much about Bon Jovi? Correct. Okay. So let's finish it with the last chapter in the book. It's when I was, I did the blaze of glory photos when he recorded them with Elton John and little Richard. Um, so these photos really were never seen before. Uh, there's some more. And then he took me to um, when he did the video, and that photo was of John uh, was in his. Uh, actually, it's right in my the gold record right behind me, the platinum inside the little label. And oh, then wow. this picture of me is a funny story. I don't know if you can see that. Is it a little blurry? A little bit. All right. Well, anyway, you, sure you'll see people reason to buy the book. But anyway, it's a picture of me coming out of a tent on the top of this butte because on that video shoot, Blaze of Glory, they had to bring all the people up in a helicopter because we were like 3,000 feet up. And I, and it, once you got up there, you had to stay there if you were the crew or me, a photographer or the video guys. So I camped out. And in the middle of the night, I went to go to the bathroom to take a leak. And I, I mean, the next day, I, I came this close to like, you know, the edge of the butte. You know, it's when that picture, you can see it's like, pretty close to the end because it was pitch black. So I, I almost didn't make it, but you know, it, you know, I had a good laugh, you know, and I had a couple beers in me too. So it's like, you know, I live to tell the tale. Yeah. That's really cool. And one last thing about Bon Jovi, and I've always wanted to, to ask you, did you do the, the dry County single cover back in 92, 93? Uh, there was rumors that you did then, Another photographer was taking claim. And I just always wondered that if you did that. Oh, is that when the, I did this, the, the diner shot? Are you talking about? Crossroads. That's nine. Crossroads I did. Yeah. You did Crossroads? Okay. I didn't know well, that. Well, I didn't. It was the, it wasn't the cover. It was the back cover. It was John in front of a diner. Right. Yep. That's the Roseline Diner. Yeah. They might've used it inside somewhere. Um, yeah, I think that's where that came from. That's that's cool. I I had no idea about that. Um, one last thing is your YouTube uh, channel, Wise Guy, which you had just started. Do you want? Oh, to yeah, it's actually, for a second? Yeah, it's actually the the YouTube channel is called The Decade That Rocked, and it pretty much has a lot of interviews uh, from artists talking about me, the decade. Um, it's got fun things uh, like uh, uh, like I'll put like this podcast or this. Uh, this video up on there so it has my all my press things but i also have a, a new tv series called the wise guy it's about two guys 
from the 80s that kind of never grew up and they are always sneaking around backstage and you know trying to and they stalk me out and uh backstage and whatnot so it's kind of like a fun little cat and mouse kind of thing and we just uh launched the first episode it's only like a short it's like 12 minutes uh the only thing it's missing because we were just filming uh the beginning part we're going to start each episode with like a flashback of me when i was in my 20s and then when they were like 16 and 17. you know so we're, that's one thing that we're going to add later but now it's up there it's 12 minutes brian wheat from tesla's in it there's a little special guest and chips enough from enough's enough uh does his hit song fly high michelle there's uh so it's we're gonna you know have special guests from the 80s so it's just a fun little little uh rock and roll you know sitcom kind of kind of episodic adventure of sex drugs and rock and roll with the white guy well i'll be sure to uh, subscribe to it and i'll check those out and hopefully everyone that's listening will, will do the same but um one last time um if anyone's interested the book is on you can get the book on amazon mm -hmm. and the decade that rocked.com yeah yeah on my on the decade that rocked like i'll uh, for a little bit more money i'll i'll send a personalized uh uh, a personalized, uh, you know, signature in the book. Uh, I have these shirts also there, the decade that rocks. You see, and then I have these postcards that I give away if you buy the bundles. So I have like, you know, rock cards, you know, oh, there's, nice. a there's a bond, there's a bond, one in there too, but you know, just things that people are in the book, you know, right. So extras and there's some stickers you know little goodies you know i like to package it up i always i'm always into like the you know the packaging and the branding and stuff or you can get it at amazon for i think you can get it i think it's like five dollars cheaper and uh you know you get that you know you get it from them too you're right but uh on your website though is actually a really good deal because majority of people watching this are bon jovi fans so there's actually a couple bon jovi bundles where you get the book and then you can oh yeah, yeah. two you can get like two eight by 11 photos signed by you. Yes. And yes. So I, I think that's a cool deal. You know, yeah, yeah. for Bon Jovi fans. Yeah. Yeah. Usually I, 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 uh, I charge, uh, you know, a couple of hundred bucks for an eight by 11 that I sign and I put their name on it up to $3,000. They're, they're fine art prints, but for a limited time in the beginning, uh, if you buy the book and you know, the, they're available, you know, you get the, you get a couple of prints. Cool. Well, I'm definitely going to order one. So, um, but you know, I'll let you go here. I really appreciate you coming on today. It was great chatting with you, kind of learning a little more insight about the book and, uh, it was great. I had fun. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, brother. All right. Ho hope you stay safe and, uh, take care. Yeah.